Welcome to the Han Talks First podcast. This is the podcast you are looking for. A Star Wars show made by Star Wars fans for Star Wars fans just like you. And today we're talking about the early drafts of George Lucas's Star Wars and how it became the story we know and love today, but also how elements from the original drafts were taken to create other Star Wars movies. So grab yourself a nice Coca-Cola or coffee, water, whatever it is that you enjoy drinking. Put your feet up, uh, unless you're driving. Uh, don't do that. And uh, just sit back and you know relax and enjoy today's episode. This is episode 83 of Han Talks First. So yeah, welcome back everybody to another episode. It is Wednesday here in the galaxy, and I just want to take a quick second and welcome all the new listeners. I've noticed a lot of you have been going back and listening to previous episodes such as six of the biggest Star Wars mistakes that they can't make again, uh, the top 10 most iconic moments of Star Wars, and uh, another one, a couple more of the ranking videos. So I'm glad you guys are finding the stuff you enjoy on this channel. There's there's tons of, there's tons of, there's a huge variety of topics that we talk about. It's not just about news and updates on shows or reviews and stuff like that. We talk about so much more. Like, what does it mean to be a Jedi? What is balance of the Force? And what is the Dharma of Star Wars? and Vader's karma, and uh, philosophy, and uh, military strategy, and all the, and science of Star, all this kind of stuff. Trying to make it very broad and relatable to everybody of different temperaments and interests. So, yeah, I, I just want to thank you all for listening, and it's such a pleasure to come here twice a week and give you some more Star Wars news. And today, we're not talking about philosophy or ideals, but we're actually talking about some of the original versions of Star Wars created by George Lucas. In my research, the books of reference are those of the Star Wars archives, the making of Star Wars, Star Wars uh, Frequently Asked, and um, just a a couple other ones. There's also a book by J.W. Winsler in here as well. So all of the the information you're going to hear today is 100% accurate, true, and from the mouths of George Lucas... Irvin Kirshner, and other people directly involved with the making of Star Wars. I learned a lot this week uh, studying on this stuff. I did a lot of research. I've been looking into this for a little, uh, probably about two weeks. I've been reading passages here and there from different books and writing them down and collecting my thoughts and just so I can give you a, a very straightforward approach to all this stuff. If you are interested in getting some of these books, you can read about this information yourself. You can message me on social media. Everything is at Han Talks First. I can give you the description, like the books, the names, the uh, where certain information came from, so you can buy these things if you'd like to, or you know, just out of just plain curiosity. So you let me know. So let's jump right into it. 
we're going to break this down into four different parts. Each part is about a certain draft of the Star Wars film, the original, A New Hope. And so, yeah, to, in order to start, we have to go all the way back in time, a long time ago in our galaxy, not so far away, all the way back to January of 1973, where George Lucas first sat down with a pad of paper and a pencil and began writing his space opera. And honestly, the early results were not very encouraging. In his first attempt of writing Star Wars, he wrote a two-page outline, and he called it Journal of the Wills. And the opening text went like this. This is the story of Mace Windy, a revered Jedi Bendu of the Upachi, as related to us by C.J. Thorpe, Padawan learner to be famed Jedi. Thorpe, known to his friends as Chewie, is a 16-year-old aspiring Jedi Templar, whose master lord, Mace Windy, is thrown out of the Alliance of Independent Systems Defense Forces on charges trumped by his political rivals. Chewie remains loyal to his master and leaves with Mace. Four years later, while guarding a shipment of valuable materials being delivered to the jungle planet of Oven, Mace and Chewie receive an urgent summons from the leadership of the Alliance. I'm not joking to you. That was the original opening passage <laughs> to this Journal of the Wills, which would become Star Wars. And that's where the two-page narrative ends. Now, that's a very condensed version, but this obviously was unfinished. And for those of us familiar with the universe that George Lucas created later on, we know that this scenario makes some degree of sense, considering we do know one of the characters, Mace Windy, actually became Mace Windu in the prequels. And Chewie is not a 16-year-old aspiring Jedi Templar, or Jedi as we know them now. Uh, one other interesting thing about this passage is the Jedi were called Jedi Bendus in the original ideas from George Lucas. Bendu was later taken off, and it just became Jedi. Bendu is actually a creature from Star Wars Rebels, the animated TV show, which I love very much, and he's a great character. So that's where that name comes from, but that's another topic of discussion. So no one who read this Journal of the Wills in 1973 could make any sense of what George Lucas was trying to get across. The only reason that this movie got a developmental deal was because of the success of his most recent film, American Graffiti. A man named Alan Ladd Jr. of 20th Century Fox offered George Lucas the deal to make Star Wars because he believed in his talent, not because of this outline. He did read it, and he was just saying <laughs> he didn't understand it, and he found it kind of odd. But he knew of George's talents. He loved American Graffiti, so he wanted to put it to the test and see what this guy could do. But it wasn't just Alan Ladd. Even George himself was unsure of where this project that would become known as Star Wars was going to go. A quote here says from him, It was a good idea in search of a good story. He has said on multiple occasions that he was deeply insecure about his ability to write a screenplay. And the previous two that he had done before, American Graffiti and THX 1138, he had to bring in two other screenwriters to come in and help him clean up the muck. And eventually, he would bring in those same writers, Gloria Katz and Willard Yuck, 
to come in and polish the dialogue for Star Wars. However, they couldn't find a way to delegate the bulk of this writing and understand it. And they couldn't understand George's visions for Star Wars. So, George Lucas had to do it all by himself. George Lucas himself didn't fully understand the story. It only came through continual writing and rewriting over the course of three years and five different drafts, along with an initial treatment, several summaries, and other documents that he finally figured out what this story was going to be. So let's talk about some of those early drafts of Star Wars. After he discarded his two-page outline of Journal of the Wills, and he started over virtually from scratch, he spent two years developing many elements such as plot, characters, settings, backstory ideas, but he had a lot of difficulty assembling them into a coherent shape. And we now know that because he couldn't come up with a short version of the story to fit his entire epic space opera saga, he only took a slice of that huge story to make Episode Four: A New Hope as the first standalone movie of Star Wars. A few of the main familiar elements that stuck with Star Wars from the very first draft was the opening crawl, which the, the serial-like rolling summary of the backstory at the beginning of the film that we all love and we <laughs> familiarize with Star Wars. And the other familiar element that stuck from the very first draft was the squabbling robots R2-D2 and C-3PO. Okay, so now I'm going to read you a summarized version of what the original first draft was of this script. So it says here, In this version, the Jedi Bendu, formerly the Guardians of the Galactic Empire, are a near-extinct society of warriors who were hunted down by the Black Knights of the Sith, a rival sect that overthrew the kindly old Emperor and installed the evil new Emperor. This story centers on an 18-year-old Anakin Starkiller, whose father Kane is a Jedi in hiding in the remote Kessel system. The Starkillers are forced into action when a Sith assassin arrives and during an attempt on Kane's life, murders Anakin's 10-year-old brother Deke. The remaining Starkillers return to their home planet of Akile, where Anakin becomes the Padawan learner of a famed warrior, General Luke Skywalker, a man in his 60s. But soon, Akile is attacked by the Emperor's new space fortress, the Death Star, and its king is killed. Skywalker and Anakin are assigned to effect the escape of the rightful heir to the Achillean throne, 14-year-old Princess Leia. They are accompanied by a pair of robots, R2-D2 and C-3PO, and soon joined by Kane's old friend Han Solo, an alien whose appearance recalls the creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, so that is just the opening, a summarized version of the opening of this original script. And in this, we learned that Luke Skywalker was actually originally what would become Obi-Wan of A New Hope. And Luke Skywalker trains Anakin Skywalker. That's really weird to say now, considering that uh, of, the, of the story we currently have in existence and that they're blood-related. It's just really interesting to hear. Also in this original draft... Anakin falls in love with Princess Leia, which is also weird to say, <laughs> considering that's his daughter in the real world. Leia, however, did not have a big part in in this original draft. She was 
specifically just the prize the the one to the damsel in distress to be rescued now a lot of this story is taken from an old japanese movie called the hidden fortress i know a lot of you star wars fans out there know that it was heavily influential in the making of star wars but at this stage of writing george lucas practically remade the entire movie of the hidden fortress into his universe and it went so far as it got to the point where George Lucas actually tried to buy the rights to the Hidden Fortress movie from Toho Studios in Japan and he also toyed with the idea of making it a sequel or just a just a plain remake and it also went so far as to him wanting to cast in his movie Toshiro Mifun as Luke Skywalker. Now, Toshiro played General Rakuroda Makabe. Uh, I'm sorry if I mispronounced that, but played an original character in The Hidden Fortress. So basically, George Lucas was literally just trying to remake <laughs> The Hidden Fortress. It wasn't so much of an inspiration at this point, but rather he was debating on, you know, possibly making an Americanized version of this story. You know, later he selected that Obi-Wan would be Alec Guinness. But he did originally ask Toshiro if he wanted to play Obi-Wan Kenobi. He, he, he challenged to try and get him to be in the film after later completing all the other drafts. He really wanted him to be in it regardless if it was a remake of The Hidden Fortress or not. However, Toshiro declined. I'm unable to find any reasons why or quotes from him regarding this, but he did tell George Lucas no. George Lucas, I do have a quote from him saying that if he had gotten Mif, he says, if I'd gotten Mifrun, Toshiro, if I'd gotten Mifrun, I would have used a Japanese princess, and then I would have probably cast a black Han Solo. <laughs> I understand why he would want to use a Japanese princess. I don't really understand where the black Han Solo comes from. I think maybe he just wanted to be have a very diverse movie and also having a black Han Solo would have to do with another character from another one of Akira Kurosawa's films. So maybe it's just a reference point at that point, but that it's, it's weird that, you know, it, we almost got a completely different person as Al, as a uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi and not Alec Guinness, which I'll actually be, doing a, another episode on that story in the future because it's also a very interesting story and not just so straightforward as him asking Alec Guinness and Alec being like, hell yeah. Another fun fact about the casting was in, in regards to Princess Leia was Jodie Foster was actually given serious consideration as Princess Leia uh, so far as she actually screen tested for the role and George Lucas wanted her. Now, the only reason she wasn't hired was because she was 13 years old. And at that time, casting a minor would introduce a lot of restrictions on the shooting schedule. More than we have today, actually, which is kind of weird if you ask me. But yeah, so that's why we didn't get Jodie Foster. Uh, I'm so glad we got Carrie. But again, I'll be doing a whole another episode all about casting in the future. This is just a little, little in a little taste so you can get an idea of where these drafts came from and why he was in the mindset of, you know, where Star Wars was to be. So let's move on to the second draft. 
because the first draft is basically just the hidden fortress. If you haven't seen it, I recommend you go watch it. I believe it's on HBO Max, and you can understand what the original Star Wars was based off of. So the second draft, George Lucas was still struggling to find out the perfect story because he wasn't satisfied with the first draft. So he began sharing his script with his friends, which were other famous filmmakers. One uh, most notably is probably Francis Ford Coppola, who made Apocalypse Now, The Godfather, and etc., etc. Now, all of them were of no help to him because they all said they couldn't understand it and they had no clue what was going on. 20th Century Fox executives actually caught wind of this as well, and so they asked if they could read that uh, first draft. And they, too, were dissatisfied with it, and they actually threatened to cancel the production contract for making the Star Wars an actual movie. Luckily, Lucas did negotiate his way to lessening the production budget from $3 million to $1 million. And this is also the infamous moment where he negotiated the uh, sequel rights, like full ownership and merchandising rights, full ownership. That, too, is a whole other story. But basically, he had, to, he had to really talk his way and convince these people, like, hey, just let me write another draft, and I promise you it'll be a little bit better than the first one. So this is where the second draft really starts to get into effect. So one year later, he's finally getting closer to finishing this draft. And this one is titled Adventures of the Star Killer, Episode 1, The Star Wars. And this marked a major break from the previous one with a story further removed from the Hidden Fortress movie. And in this draft, it's where he first introduced the emergence of Lord Darth Vader as the primary villain, and the addition of the embryonic version of the Force. And here it was known as the Force of Others. I don't like that at all. <laughs> that's that's getting very embryonic and very religious. I, so instead of being just simply called the Force, it was called the Force of Others. In a deeper note, it was actually the good side of the Force was called Ashla, Force of Others. And the bad side of the force was called Bogon, force of others. So the light side was Ashla and the dark side was Bogon. And a lot of this has been brought up again in modern day storytelling. There is a character named Ashla in uh, some of the Legends comics and also in Legends and Knights of the Old Republic video game. There are dark Jedi that study the dark arts of Bogon. I did a video and an episode on that very recently. You can check that out. It's all about the origins of the Sith. And it's funny that the origins of that actually come from the origins of the second draft of Star Wars. Kind of funny. So this draft is also where it was first included the addition of Stormtroopers. And also, the Stormtroopers wielded lightsabers. That's right. This weapon was not only reserved for Jedi Knights at this point, and Sith, but in this version, Stormtroopers used lightsabers. And there is some concept art out there that you can look up and just type in Stormtrooper the lightsaber and you'll find it by Ralph McQuarrie. He made some paintings of uh, Stormtroopers wielding blue lightsabers. Kind of cool. Also in this, it was the reintroduction of Starkiller but instead of Anakin Starkiller he was just simply known as the Starkiller and it was turned around where Luke was back as the main character again and it was Luke Skywalker and 
actually, fun fact, in this version of the script, draft two, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are the ones that are instructing Luke Skywalker on the ways of the Force, not Obi-Wan Kenobi. And again, they're calling it the Force of Others. So it wasn't until this point that this draft is actually the inspiration for the plot of The Force Awakens. Let me go a little further in that and explain to you why. So the main plot element of this this draft was that Luke Skywalker's mission was to, he receives a message from R2-D2, and in it is a kyber crystal and a map, and he has to take this kyber crystal to the Starkiller on the planet Organa Major, where Starkiller is in hiding. And in doing that, he can give him the lightsaber, or give him the crystal to make a lightsaber, and then they both go together to the Death Star, or yeah, to the Death Star, where they defeat Vader and blow up the Death Star, similar to the modern-day one. And so it's it's basically just like the plot of The Force Awakens. They get a map, and instead of Anakin, it's uh, Luke who's in hiding uh, in The Force Awakens, and the whole movie is about trying to find them so they can blow up the uh, the Death Star, which became Starkiller Base, uh, a nod to that, to that original name. And on top of that, in this movie, the way in the second draft, the way you're introduced to Han and Chewie is the same exact way that you're introduced to them or reintroduced to them in The Force Awakens. Kind of funny, huh? J.J. Uh, Abrams definitely went through the archives at Lucasfilm, read this version, was like, huh, I could totally make this uh, an, its own Star Wars movie and no one will ever know. But guess what, J.J.? We figured it out. Right here on Han Talks First, we exposed you. You are exposed. Your secrets are revealed. But, <laughs> and honestly, he took a lot of ideas from the third draft as well, which we will get into right now. So let's talk about the third draft of Star Wars. So in the third draft, George Lucas really hammered a lot harder by taking out a lot of the characters that were kind of just, you know, filling the story up, but with too much nonsense. And he tried to declutter a lot of this disjointed story because it was still, at this point, confusing to a lot of people. And the people that he showed it to still could not understand the ideas that he was trying to get across and what the basic story was. So this is where he started to look at the works of the mythologist Joseph Campbell as a guide to shape the story. There's a quote here from George Lucas that says, About the time that I was doing the third draft, I read The Hero with a Thousand Faces, and I started to realize that I was following those rules unconsciously. So I said I'll make it fit more into that classic mold. And it was also at this point that George Lucas decided to hire the concept artist Ralph McQuarrie to create concept paintings for his project. Now, if you guys aren't familiar with The Hero of a Thousand Faces, this is where the writings of the hero's journey comes from the classic uh, way of storytelling that we're all taught in high school, middle school, whenever we learn it, that it was kind of annoying at the time because we have to read books like the Odyssey and the Iliad. Uh, that kind of is what is makes that mythology based off of is that form of storytelling. And this book was written a, a little bit before that time in the seventies when he was writing these drafts and, 
So he really decided, okay, the way I can clean this up is by following the works of Joseph Joseph Campbell. He actually met with Joseph Campbell and interviewed him to get help when writing the story. And Joseph Campbell has actually gone on record saying that, you know, Star Wars is the prime example of what I was talking about in like modern day mythology and writing this kind of story. And Joseph Campbell also says that he really enjoys Star Wars and he got to help George Lucas like kind of come up with some of the story beats, which is really cool. If you want to see that uh, interview, he said it a long time ago. If you just type in Joseph Co- Joseph Campbell, I keep wanting to say Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> I don't even think he was born at this point. Um, but just type in Joseph Campbell talks about Star Wars on YouTube. I'm sure you'll find that video as well. So when he hired Ralph McQuarrie, he did that so that he could help visualize the story a little bit better because George didn't have a real vision for what this was going to look like at this time. He just had an idea of the story he wanted to tell. And by hiring Ralph McQuarrie, it helped him shape the story a little bit better. And the concept art is actually also what helped George Lucas convince 20th Century Fox executives to let Star Wars be made. Because again, even after the second draft, they weren't too happy with this movie. They still had a little bit of faith in George Lucas' talents and abilities to, you know, perform a good result at the end, but they didn't think that this was a marketable film, and they didn't think that it was going to work, and they thought it was going to be a very costly film to make. There was also a very drastic change in this story. It wasn't until this third draft that George Lucas decided to change the gender of Luke Starkiller to be a female. And the reason why he did this was because he didn't have any main characters in the film that were girls. Well, he had Princess Leia, but again, like I said before, Princess Leia was just the prize and the damsel in distress that really isn't in the movie only until the end when she was rescued. But it was this version that he decided, I'm going to make Luke Skywalker a female. He did change it when coming up to his fourth draft because he wanted Luke to rec- to reflect himself and to represent his life and who he is as a person, hence Luke being Lucas. So that's why he changed it back to a man. But to think that we almost got that story where Luke, Scott, Luke Starkiller was a female, I think that would have been a, a powerful move for that time period, considering we didn't have any lead females at that time, especially in, I mean, we had lead females, but like in this type of fantasy role or especially a science fiction role. And that was changed later on with the introduction of aliens. But it wasn't until the fourth draft that he decided to change it back to a man. And that's also when he decided, well, instead of having Leia be in the background, I want there to be a lead female. So I will bring her to the forefront and make her main character and give her actual things to do. And this is the moment where I say that J.J. Abrams may have taken this element to turn it into Ray in his story. Because he did take elements from that second draft about the whole, just plot points and basic uh, MacGuffins. But it wasn't until the third draft, I think, he got the main idea for Ray and having a lead female in this movie. So, I mean, honestly, I, I don't believe all of it is pinned on Kathleen Kennedy. I think a lot of people have that misconstrued uh, because even George Lucas himself has said that his vision of the sequels did focus on a female lead known as Kira and then Kira got re re regenerated into Solo's love interest in that Solo movie 
So those are the major changes in draft three. A lot of the story was the same. It was just being rounded with the help of Joseph Campbell. So let's move into the final draft of the story. Because it took George Lucas three years to finally get a shooting script ready. It's a new year, so that means it's time for some resolutions, which brings me to the sponsor of today's show, Audible. By going to this link, audibletrial.com slash hantalksfirst in the description below, you can get a free 30-day trial. My resolution this year is to read more. It makes you smarter. But it can also bring you closer to the things you love, like Star Wars. If you're like me, trying to get your hands on every Star Wars book ever made, then you probably have the same problem I do. Shelf space. But it's not just about that. Audible is the leading creator and provider of premium audio storytelling, enriching the lives of millions of listeners every day. Once I downloaded the Audible app, I immediately started listening to the first book in the Star Wars High Republic series, The Light of the Jedi. This story is accompanied with great voice talent, sound effects, and music that make you feel like you're stepping into the Star Wars world. Audible has everything you need. Get access to audiobooks, Audible Originals, podcasts, and so much more. You can listen anywhere, anytime, on your phone, computer, in your car, and they're always launching new content. It's less than $10 a month with the Audible Plus plan, but you can get 30 days for free by going to my link, www.audibletrial.com slash first in the description below. I highly recommend Audible. I mean, think about all the Star Wars books you can have right on your phone. And there's so much more, so please consider checking them out and send me a message with proof of your trial so I can give you some great recommendations. It's time to start listening. Now, this fourth draft is also considered the final draft. There were adjustments made afterwards, making a fifth draft a final draft, but this is the one that they, the studio approved, that George Lucas approved, and some of his friends approved that, hey, this is the one you should go and start making this movie. So they finally started getting a production contract, and they were like, okay, let's go shoot this script. And they incorporated nearly all of the re revisions that, w that we now know as Star Wars. So he took elements from each different draft and put it into one. And the very first words that were on this page were this. A long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, an incredible adventure took place. Now, we now know later it was turned into a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But it's... Sorry, I think I hit a soundbite by accident. It was Babu Frick screaming in the background. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this this draft was a little different. Originally, George Lucas had the elements of kyber crystals, one of which being that the main story element was Luke had to deliver a kyber crystal to Starkiller on Organa Major, that planet. Guys, all of this is so hard to keep track of <laughs> because I know the names... I familiarize them with current Star Wars, and it's just like weird to think Organa used to be a planet instead of you know Princess Leia's lineage or the Senator Organa and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, so this draft actually completely eliminated kyber crystals and all the characters to what we know them to be in their roles today. And it was the first time that they introduced Vader portrayed as a half-man, half-machine. Now, the thing that was most important to the making of this final script was developing the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And if you think about it, Obi-Wan Kenobi is the most important character in A New Hope. 
it's actually not Luke Skywalker. Because if you think about Obi-Wan's contribution to the plot of the story, he introduces Luke to Han and Chewie. Obi-Wan, he explains the workings of the Force. He, he gets to go take Luke on an adventure. He, he convinces him to, you know, embrace the Force. He talks about the, the background, the history of the Clone Wars and Anakin and all this kind of stuff. And he brings him to Vader. And uh, this is all just happening in A New Hope. Obi-Wan Kenobi literally ties the story together. And without him, this story would fall apart. And that was the key focus of this final draft was centering everything around Obi-Wan Kenobi and making the story flow to the best possible way. Now, there were three final additions that were added during actual shooting of this script. Because it wasn't until they started shooting the movie that George Lucas decided, hey, I want to add a few more things. And one of them was, originally, Obi-Wan Kenobi was not going to die. And he was not going to be killed by Vader, especially. So it wasn't until they started shooting that George Lucas decided, I need Luke to have some kind of motivation. I need him to have some kind of hurdle that he can cross, and I want to give him a spiritual guide. So he decided he would have Obi-Wan sacrifice himself, and Vader would kill him. Now, it's weird to think now that that was a, a, you know, kind of a final last-minute decision because that moment is so iconic and so significant to the Star Wars that would come later down the road. The second final edition made is actually a pretty hilarious one that I found to be <laughs> just so freaking funny because when they were shooting the cantina scene, they wanted to give a little bit more George Lucas wanted to give the Han Solo character a little bit more character a little bit more backstory so you really understand who this guy is so during the shooting the cantina George Lucas decided I'm gonna have him shoot another bounty hunter this just further proves that Han shot first Han Solo shot first <laughs> I think it's so funny this scene has been remade so many times <laughs> At least once a decade, if you think about it. And to think that it was a last-minute decision, and George Lucas has struggled with the results of this decision since day one and keeps messing it up and adding McClunkies and all this kind of stuff to it, it's it's so funny. And to think that it, it never was supposed to be in the original script. And so maybe that's why he keeps going back and retouching it, because it really has nothing to do with this movie or with this story at all. I mean, it does now, but, and of course, it's where we get the name, Han Talks First. So I guess I can thank George for making that last-minute decision because I wouldn't have this this name of this podcast, which I'm, I'm pretty thrilled about. So there's that. Now, the third final edition that he added, which is very interesting, is this one was actually changed on the 11th hour of shooting. This is the a very last-minute decision. The fourth draft included uh, Luke Skywalker's name was actually Luke Starkiller. And this was up until a month before they said his full name on screen. So George Lucas finally discarded the surname of Starkiller because he decided that it sounded too bloodthirsty. And he revived the name 
Skywalker, which was the original name for Anakin uh, in one of the earlier drafts. And he decided Skywalker was a, a more pure-sounding name than Starkiller. And George Lucas has this realization a lot, especially, I mean, if you think about Return of the Jedi, originally called Revenge of the Jedi, which he changed last minute as well. So last minute that actually they had already made posters with the name Revenge of the Jedi on it. And then he would revitalize that name too in episode three, calling Revenge of the Sith, giving it that title. So it's funny to see, you know, studying this stuff and seeing how George Lucas works, it really puts you in his mind that he has a, a million thoughts going on at one time. He's a, he's got a great storytelling mind and it's just, you know, going through all these drafts and it, it gives me a good sense of his, his headspace and his thought process and that he wants to make the best story possible. So he gives himself so many different options and then so many options so that he can narrow them down as time gets closer to the final finished product and pick the best one at the end. And that's one thing I love about George Lucas. And honestly, all of these drafts, I think, have something special in them. Maybe not that first one with the the two pages that kind of, even reading it, it made no sense to me, but they all have a little bit of heart in them. And I'm... I really hope one day we can actually get to see these drafts, like the actual words written on paper, because I, I have not read them myself. Everything I'm sh- sharing with you today has been through words of other people that have either seen the script or talked to George Lucas or from George Lucas himself. There's been very few people in this world who have seen those original drafts. One of them is definitely J.J. Abrams and, of course, Kathleen Kennedy. And I feel like there is a clause in the contract that Disney may not be allowed to release them because they're also not allowed to release the original versions of the original trilogy either. So it'll be interesting to see how it progresses as time goes on. You know, if George Lucas, when he passes away, do you think Disney will honor that contract? Or do you think they're going to re-release the original trilogy in its original form, in its original theatrical versions. It's interesting to think about. But that is it for today, guys. I know this was kind of long. I honestly didn't think it would last this long talking about just the drafts because I wanted to talk about some other things, but we're going to save that for Monday's episode. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I definitely learned a lot in my research, and I hope you did too. I want to know what your favorite parts about this were. What did you find interesting? And if you want to come back and join us for another episode, we're actually going live on Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific time on YouTube and Facebook. So you can join us there. You can join the live chat, ask us questions and all that kind of stuff, and just have a good time talking about Star Wars. I'll be joined by a very special guest. His name is Mark Lawrence, and we'll be talking all about Star Wars and sharing our stories together. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Don't forget, we also added a new show to the Han Talks First podcast, and that is the WandaVision After Show. It's the after show for WandaVision, and you can find that on YouTube and on the podcast as well. Every Friday at 12 p.m., or I'm sorry, 1 p.m., and this Friday we're actually going to be trying to go live. Me and my co-host, my girlfriend, will be doing it on YouTube, so you can come by and join us there as well. A lot of people on the YouTube have um, grown to find that video, so I hope you can as well. 
and find it interesting for yourself. But that is it for me today, guys. Thank you so much for being here. And now, somehow, someway, somewhere, this week, may the Force be with you.